0: Yo, this is Pastor Titor here, welcoming you to another episode of my Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we're going to continue looking and studying God's Word regarding messy spirituality what to do, how to do when we find ourselves riding that struggle bus when it comes to following through with our faith. Because if you've ever tried to do it, you know that we are imperfect at it. And so today we're going to look at two ways when you find yourself there, how to properly respond when you are dealing with your own mess ups and how to respond when somebody else messes up. And now you have to deal with it their sin their mistakes have now messed you up and if you're not careful you can take a bad situation amen so this to this month for so those of you that are logging on online or visiting us for the first time it's been the first voice time voice. in a long time we are doing a study on specifically the series called messy spirituality and like a, like you just saw in that video it's what do we do and how do we respond when it becomes frustrating following Jesus. So if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, I'm pretty sure you have found some way just to be frustrated in your execution, right? Maybe it is, you know what God wants you to do, but it's really hard sometimes, or you try and do it and you fail miserably. And so this is a sermon for imperfect Christians. I don't know if this is a good news or if you like to hear this or not, but uh, is it a good thing to know that there's no such thing as a perfect church? Is it a good thing to know that there's no such thing as a perfect Christian? That's good. That's for all of us guys, including me. All right. But there is something that we are looking at right now that is very important because that is an important truth to know that, all right, yeah, no one is perfect, but that's not super inspiring, is it? Especially when you are frustrated with yourself. I don't know how many times I've felt this. I've heard so many people say, you know what? I wish I should not be here. I should be more mature than this. I should be Different. I mean, I've been following Christ for, for years, for months. Really, it's more of those who complain for years. And i like, I shouldn't be here. I should be in a different place. I should be more mature. And, and, and you don't see really any growth because all you do is, all you are finding is more imperfections. And you're not noticing how much God has done in your life. You're just frustrated because you realize, yo, I still got far more to go. And when people feel like that, when you get frustrated with yourself, you tend to give up, you tend to try less. And then here you are missing out on something amazing that God wants to do and offer you an experience. And the reason why is because you're throwing a little pity party for yourself. But I want you to know that it's very important for us to learn how to respond. And that's my heart guys for you in this series. As Christians, I do not want you to find and settle for a lame excuse for not wanting to follow Christ or a lame excuse for not trying or a lame excuse for just doing halfway measures because there is so much more. There's a better way to respond than that. But today, we're gonna lean into one new thing. Can okay, and I'll kind of give you a dual focus because there's one thing when we fail and we're pursuing Christ and when we fail, we tend to grieve our shame, right? We, like we just kind of sang a minute ago, Lord, you deserve it. You deserve the praise and the glory. You deserve God, you deserve better than what I'm doing right now, right? And a lot of times we grieve our shame because we're like, I, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this, or I can't believe I, I'm not where I ought to be. And we struggle with shame, that's one thing. But then when we mess up, we struggle with our own shame. We grieve over our shame. But what happens, guys, when somebody else messes up? What happens when somebody else messes up and because of that, now that has impacted you? You're not grieving shame, now you're grieving pain because somebody hurt you they messed up and now they've hurt you they messed up and they've wounded you right how do you respond how do we grieve over that kind of pain because guys listen if you are not careful and you you can literally yeah somebody messes up that's not your fault but then you can make it worse If we, there's one way that we can grieve over pain and shame that makes it worse, but there is one way that makes it better. The difference, the difference is whether we choose to make room for God to step into that grief. That's the decision. And what's so amazing about that, guys, is listen, we have a God who knows what it's like. We have a God who knows what it's like. He knows knows what grieving is. The scripture says that Jesus, when he came down on the cross, he suffered for us and he has gone through every single temptation yet was victorious and didn't, he didn't fall into that so that he was the perfect substitute for us. And because of what Jesus did and because he rose from the grave and lives today, we have another option that was not possible. We have a way to be able to deal with shame and pain and to grieve well, but we have to make sure that we make room for God to step in. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 today. So for everybody online, listen, I want to make sure, we've said this earlier, if you have your phone and you like to take notes on your phone or your Bible's not on there, Actually, it's okay. You go to our website, God.church, There's a link there where it says sermon notes. And there I got the Bible verses for today ready to go. You're able to add new little things there. You can add some notes. I got some stuff. So go to God.church, scroll down, swipe to the right or to the left, and then there you're gonna see a link called sermon notes. And then there you go. So everyone is here. If you want your old school, you got your Bible out, you're getting whatever you're gonna write your notes down. Let me just give you a little backstory to 2 Corinthians, all right? Because this was a mess. Talk about messy spirituality. Here is a messy situation. And you, you got to get the backstory to be able to understand the context. You, you gotta understand the context in order to understand the text. So, if you uh, those of you that read the Bible, some of you know that there are two letters to the church of Corinth. They're called first, second Corinthians. Paul wrote this to a to a church there. But I want you to know that there were actually four letters that Paul wrote to that church, and we have it there. First Corinthians is actually the second letter and second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that he wrote. We don't know what the other two are, but I got to give you the context because th- there's a little bit of drama here. And, and when you, when you know this stuff, man, it just makes everything just not, not only relatable, man, it just comes alive. So Paul goes on a missionary journey to this city of Corinth. And there he's telling them about the gospel. He's telling them about Jesus, telling them about these things. And the tr- and these people are responding. They're getting saved. They're turning away from their, from their sins. They're turning away from the world and they're excited to be able to see God is bringing the dead to life, literally. And, and here they are. And then they're so happy to see, oh my gosh, this is a real God, a God of power, a God of love. And he gives us life. And in him, we can have the forgiveness of our sins. And they're experiencing it. It's an amazing thing. Revival is breaking. Out in this city called Corinth. And so Paul spends months there. I believe it was like 18 months. And he's with them, loving them, encouraging them as they're winning souls for Christ. And there he goes and, and he's, his time is up because what Paul would do, he would kind of go around and set up churches and he would go to a place that had no clue about Jesus. Tell them all people would get saved, lives transformed. So he organizes a church. He organizes a community. He puts somebody in charge and says, all right, guys, keep it going. Keep pursuing Christ. I'm going to take the message to the next town where they haven't heard it yet. And so they send Paul out. Paul hears about what's going on he kind of keeps tabs on everybody all these churches that he sets up and he finds out city of Corinth they're still baby Christians They're, they're learning and they're they're still trying to figure out how do we follow Christ in this world they still have some old habits that they had that is like creeping in to their spiritual walk and so Paul writes his first letter to help encourage them to explain some things because you know he's too far the Corinthians send a letter back. Okay, Paul, listen, oh, we got some questions about what you said. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Paul says, say less. So he writes First Corinthians now. So First Corinthians is a response to a letter that questions that they had. And so 1 Corinthians, he's explaining everything. Guys, look, you got this, you got that. You got to deal with this. And he helps them to get it. Here's the problem. That church didn't get it. Anybody, listen, if you have ever been wondering, oh, why can't I get it? Why? Listen, this church didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, it got worse. It got worse and Paul was grieved and he was bothered about what was happening. And what made it even worse was there was a group of people led by some false teachers, specifically one person that led actually a kind of revolt against Paul. This minority in the church took over the church, and now they are getting them to forget everything that Paul said. And now they are saying, these are Judaizers, they're saying, in order to follow Jesus, guys, you have to be a Jew. In order to follow Jesus, remember, these are non-Jews. The Corinth is a a Greek city state. He's telling them, if you want to follow Jesus, guys, you got to be a Jew. You got to act like a Jew, think like a Jew, eat like a Jew, dress like a Jew. And they're like, well, hold on, no, that's not what Jesus, Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead just so we can follow a bunch of rules like that and be saved. No, that's salvation by our works. We don't need a savior if if all we need to do is behave better. Y'all feel me? And so Paul is now, he can't believe it. He can't believe that this whole church has now took a 180 going the complete opposite direction. These people have deceived this church. So Paul is so bothered, he doesn't write a letter, he pulls up. He pulls up and he shows up to that church. Yo, I got to talk to you. Who's, who's that fool? Who's talking? And he goes and, oh, what made it worse is the, those, those minority leaders, the people that were now in charge, were talking smack about Paul. They were, they were calling themselves super apostles. And they were saying, Paul, bro, look at Paul. Paul, if you, he explains all these times how he suffers and there's a shipwreck and he's this and he's getting beaten. And they're saying, look, look at this. This is, no, oh, this is not this is not a servant. Look at him, how much he is suffering, how much he is failing. That means God is not with him. God is with us. He's with us. He is, that is he, Paul is wrong. Oh, and they were lying about him. Paul was asking for a special offering to be able to send to some poor Christians in a persecuted town. And he's saying, guys, don't trust him. Don't believe him. He's going to pocket that offering for himself. Literally, that's what they're saying. He's going to pocket that offering for himself. So Paul's like, you talking about me? You, talk, you talking about me? Paul was a gangster. Paul showed up. He didn't want to write a letter. He was like, no, we're talking face-to-face, bro. We're going to talk face-to-face. Paul shows up, and the meeting did not go well. In fact, Paul describes the meeting as a tense meeting. I mean, it, it didn't go down to blows, but people were mm, they, they were going at it. And Paul was addressing these people and calling them out. And then these guys were to his face, yelling at him, ridiculing him, making fun of him. And the church that Paul established, these people knew Paul. They had a relationship with Paul. Over a year they spent with each other. You know what that church did? They didn't get Paul's back. No one defended Paul. Paul is standing there alone. He walks away depressed. The whole church stabbed him in the back. Look, if you've been in church longer than a week, You're going to deal with somebody that's going to bother you inside the church. I'm going to be real. Could you imagine if a whole church, the entire church, went at you? That was him. He walked away depressed. He's like, I can't believe what had happened. He he was struggling. It even bothered his missionary journeys. And so he was so bothered, he was like, hold on. And he writes his third letter. He writes a letter to this church, and he calls it a stern letter. He didn't hold back. He let it go. He let it go, but he didn't like make fun of them. I was like, all right, I see you. Wait till I talk to Jesus about you. See what's going to happen. No, like he wasn't going at it like that. He wasn't like calling them names and being hateful. But he said, let's be real. Has anyone ever told you to your face something that was, you didn't want to hear? but they loved you and they didn't say it nicely. No, they they said it to you. And I don't know if everyone's had a conversation like that where somebody can be very bold and aggressive, yet they're doing it out of a place of love. Anybody had one of those tense conversations? Paul has that letter and he writes, and he does not hold back. He, I mean, just ferocious and after them, telling them the truth, calling them out. How could you guys do this? You guys don't understand. Apparently that church was hurt by Paul's words. So now here's Paul hurt by what they did. And now this church was hurt by what he'd said in his third letter. Paul now is like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Did, did, I, did I go too far? Did, 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 was, I too, too, was I too hard on them? Oh my gosh. I, I, he literally could, would lose sleep and, and, and he had to stop one missionary journey and he tells his boy Titus. Titus is one of his proteges. He says, Titus, I need you to go see what's going on, bro. I, I can't leave here what I'm doing. Titus, I need you to go find out what's happening in that city because I I heard that, that I hurt them with that letter. I don't know what's going on. Titus, can you go figure this out? Same Titus that Paul writes the letter to Titus in the New Testament, same guy. Titus goes, he comes back and the report that he gives Paul is actually what inspired 2 Corinthians, the fourth letter that he wrote. And the reason why I say all that is so you can understand. I mean, that sounds like drama. You know? that's, that's some ancient 2,000-year-old drama. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Somebody ought to make a show about that one, right? And so here's what Paul says. Now that you understand the T, okay? Now you understand the story. Now look at what Paul says in chapter 7. Ready? So we're going to read. Let's look at verse 2 through 4, where Paul is encouraging this church who messed up. These people messed up. And they're actually, you're gonna see, they're sorry for what they did. They realize they were wrong, they're sorry. And they, they go, they tell Titus, Titus, can you tell them we're sorry we messed up? Can Paul find it in his heart to forgive us? Look what Paul says. Let's look at chapter seven. Chapter seven, verse two, Paul says, "Make room in, make room for us, Paul and his team, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one taken advantage of no one. Does now that that verse make sense after the story I told you about what they were saying about him, accusing him? We've done nothing. And I don't say this to condemn you. I don't want you to feel bad about us. That's not what I'm doing. Since I have already said that you are in our hearts. You are in our hearts to die together, to live together. I am very frank with you. I'm proud of you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement and I am overflowing with joy in all of our afflictions. Like all the drama guys that we're experiencing, I'm experiencing joy in the midst of all of this mess. How can Paul get to this place? I mean, Paul, when he literally says live together, die together, he's saying, guys, I know what you did. I know what you did and I want you to know I love you despite what you've done. Guys, you gotta hear this part. I love you despite what you've done. In fact, if I had to, I would die for you today. How many of us would be that gracious to somebody who Imagine somebody that they they did something wrong and they hurt you so bad and they said, I'm sorry. He'd like, listen, man, I still love you. I'll die for you right now if I need to. That'd be hard to say. I'm like, I'll kill you. Well, like, that's what I want to I'm like, I'm not gonna die for you. I'm gonna kill you for what you said. I can't believe you did that. Paul is saying, I would die for you. I am proud of you. I'm proud that God sent me to you. I am proud that that we have been able to to experience this together. I'm proud to call you spiritual sons and daughters. I am proud that I know you. That we have a relationship despite what you have done. I still what? I still love you, guys. Nothing that you have done has made me stop loving you. Nothing. That's what Paul is telling them. And see, what's amazing here is that Paul, instead of choosing revenge, Paul chose reconciliation. Reconciliation means trying to make things right. If you've ever had a broken bone before, anybody online, everybody here ever had a broken bone before? If you've ever had a broken bone, what do the doctors gotta do? They got to set the bone. They gotta put it back, okay? Can you tell which which hand of mine has a broken finger or had one? You see it? right? They had to reset. When this one, my pinky was on top of my palm. It was like out there. It was gross. And so in order to fix it, they had to reset it. That's what reconciliation means. In order to reset something, Paul chose reconciliation. He did not choose revenge. Paul's third letter. Listen, a lot of us, I know I'm not the only one. Okay. I know I'm not the only one who wrote a text message in all caps. (laughs) and then deleted it before sending it. Yeah, hey, anybody ever done one of those, right? I know I'm not the only one who wrote a text message out and then had to rethink it and just deleted it and said, and just replied back with, okay, all right, you know, or whatever. I was like, all right, whatever. I know I'm not the only one. Paul, his third letter, his, his harsh letter was not him lashing out. It was him in frustrating, frustrated love trying to help these people to get what's wrong. He chose reconciliation, not revenge. Why? Because Paul knew a truth that Jesus talked about. Guys, listen, forgiven people forgive, right? Forgiven people forgive. Jesus talked about this. He says, somebody who has been forgiven little is gonna show little appreciation, but somebody who has been forgiven much is gonna show great appreciation. Why? Because forgiven people forgive. If you've experienced that, Jesus told a a parable about that, about about a man who had, it was a story, about a man who owed the king, I mean, an exaggerated amount of money. I mean, like lifetimes and lifetimes upon lifetimes of of, of money that it would take him forever, impossible to pay back. The king forgives him. And then he, the guy who was forgiven, finds somebody who owed him maybe like a week's worth of cash and he's like, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to punish you. I throw you in jail. And the king's like, whoa, hold on. If, if I forgave all of this, why couldn't you forgive that little bit? See, forgiven people forgive. Paul knew this because before Paul was establishing churches, before Paul was going out telling everybody about the love of Jesus, what was Paul doing? Killing people who was doing the very same thing, arresting them. Paul was an accomplice to an innocent man's murder. Boy named Stephen, all he did was talk about Jesus. And everybody hated the fact of what he was saying and they wanted to stone him to death with rocks, literally to peg him until he dies. And Paul said, all right, guys, tell you what, here, let me hold your coats. Let me hold your coats. Go ahead. Yeah, this guy's guy's talking nonsense. Here, let me hold your coats. And he sat there in approval as a mob murdered an innocent young boy. And all he did was tell people about Jesus. And he was, Paul's there holding the coat. Paul meets Jesus on the road one day and instead of Jesus annihilating this person who's doing what he's doing, Jesus extends grace and mercy. And Paul cannot believe when he came to realize, oh my gosh, I messed up. I thought I was serving God and doing what I was doing. I thought I was helping you. It turns out I'm doing the complete opposite. He knew he was dead to rights when Jesus showed up and when he realized the truth that Jesus was the true Messiah and what did Jesus do? I forgive you, it's time to get to work, bro. You on the team now. That shook Paul. So can you imagine, can you see how Paul was able to forgive this church who stabbed him in the back? Why? Because Jesus forgave Paul's great sin. He says, if Jesus can forgive what I did, of course I can forgive what you did. Yeah, I was messed up, but it is nothing compared to what I did for God. Nothing what I did against him and he forgave me, so how can I not forgive you? That's Paul. And that should be us, guys. Christians, we are forgiven in order to forgive. Earlier in this chapter, in in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter one, Jesus, Paul says, we are comforted in order to comfort others. God does things in us in order to do something through us. Paul is modeling that right now, telling them, listen, I still love you despite what you did. Despite what you did, but he is excited about something. And so let's look at this next five verses, five through 10. So Paul is encouraging this church. And now the reason why, and he's excited because this church, remember Titus went to go visit him and he brought back the news. That's why Paul is so excited now. So this church encouraged Titus who encouraged Paul. Look at, look at verse five through 10. We'll read it together. In fact, when we came to Macedonia, one of his missionary trips, we had no rest, no rest whatsoever. I did not, I missed my spot. We had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts from the outside and fears within. Look at that. I mean, there was people, we had issues with people, but then we personally had emotional, mental things that we were going through. But God, one of the two best words in the Bible when you read but God. But God who comforts the downcast, who encourages the discouraged. He comforted us by the arrival of Titus. Listen, we were having a bad day. We were having a bad go of it. But when Titus showed up after visiting you guys, oh my gosh, that made our day when he told us what happened. And not only, you know, he, Titus comforted us, not only by his arrival, but by the comfort he received from you. So Titus was encouraged by this church who later encouraged Paul. And so, let me keep reading. Uh, He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me so that I rejoice even more for even if I grieved you with my letter. Remember that that third letter that we don't know what he said. Even though I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. That's kind of really, that's really, really interesting. He says, look, I don't regret what happened. I don't regret that I hurt you. But he said though, I I don't regret it. And if I did regret it, since I saw that the letter did grieve you, yet only for a little while, I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed. Ooh, we gotta come back to that. Grieved as God willed. So that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret but worldly grief produces death. So guys, you gotta catch this. So not only is Paul in telling them, listen, I love you despite it all, but it's like Paul is is letting them know, I am so happy to hear what's going down. I am so happy to hear what's going down. He was relieved to know. See what happened at that third letter really hit them hard. Okay, I know I'm not the only one who somebody told you something that you didn't want to hear and it, you didn't like it, you didn't respond well, you walked away, but that, that word kept nagging at you, right? And you kept on thinking about it. And the more you realized it, oh my gosh, wait a minute, I'm wrong, that person's right. I know we've had parents, we've been there, right? Kids, we had some things, your parents had told you some stuff, you're like, ah, only to come around and like, mom, you're right, I'm sorry, you're right. Right, and we've had those. That's what happened to this church. This church realized They were wounded. I'm like, what What is Paul saying? Oh my God, and they were upset. But then they were like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit opened up their eyes and they realized, wait, what have we done? What have we done? How have we fallen? How have we been deceived? Oh my gosh, what did we do? What did we do to Paul? Paul has done nothing to deserve this. And and we, I can't believe, and they were so, they were mourning. That's what they said, that that great sorrow. They were really sorry. They weren't like, look, Paul, sorry, not sorry. They weren't like that. They weren't like that, sorry, not sorry. They were really sorry, and it grieved them. And so Paul was, yeah, he was bothered, but did you notice he said this? Look, I kind of regretted it for a minute because I'm like, oh no, did I make it worse? But then I don't regret what I said because look what happened. It, It actually helped you guys wake up. And so this church, actually, that, that one guy that I was telling you about talking all the junk and causing all the problems, they got rid of him. They got rid of him. The church is now back on. There's revival in this church. Titus is telling them, Paul, you gotta see it. They're, run, they're turning from their sin. All of the things that you've been encouraging them, they're actually applying it. God is doing amazing things in their life. The, the spirit is working in mighty ways. Paul, you gotta see it, man, it's happening. It is happening. And Paul's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. He was so excited. And, and in that, guys, we see a, a truth that is going to be hard for us to really embrace. And it's something that Paul, it's hard for us to do. But Paul tells even the church in Ephesus, this is where in the letter to the Ephesians, he says this. We are called as believers in Christ to speak the truth in love. Now, you guys got to hear me on this. That's what Paul did. Paul, in that third letter that we don't know about, he spoke the truth in love, and it was a hard truth. And he did not pull any punches. I mean, he just went at them. But he did it from a place of love. That's why that that church responded. Because it wasn't just Paul's love. It was the love of God through Paul. All right? It was a ferocious, intense love. And guys, speaking the truth in love is what changes hearts. Okay? Okay? You guys know what changes somebody, you know, changes a, a hard-headed person and a hard-hearted person? Hard truth. Oh, yeah, you didn't like it. No one liked it. No one liked that. Online, did you like it? I don't think so. Let me say that one again. The only thing that can change a hard-hearted person is hard truth, and it's the truth of God. See, the truth of God is the love of God. You can't do one without the other, guys, I'm telling you. The truth of God is the love of God. The truth of God is expressed in the love of God. And the love of God is a reflection of the truth of who God is. You can't do one without the other. It's damaging if you try. Because there's a lot of people out there who speak biblical truth, yet they don't have godly love. They speak God's truth, but they don't have godly love. What they do is they take Bible verses and they beat people over the head with those verses. And you know what happens when you have all truth and no love? You damage people. I'm pretty sure there's people in here that have been damaged because of that. They quoted scripture accurately, but it didn't help you because they did it in a condemning way. They did it in a ridiculing way. They did it in a place that, yeah, it was God's truth, but it didn't come with God's love. God's truth without love causes damage. But love without truth deceives people. You know how many times I've seen people They'll say things like, oh, God, God loves you just the way you are. Is it true? Oh, yeah. He loves you just the way you are. But people stop there. They stop at that. And then people hear, oh, he loves me the way I am. So that means I don't need to change. He loves me just the way I am. So I guess I'm good, right? So you're just going to pick me up like when we're ready to go. I'm going to see you in heaven, right? You know, you got my name on there because you love me just the way I am. So why do I need to change? And there are people who try to express the love of God, but never say the hard truth. And people are deceived, thinking that everything is gonna be okay when they're not. You can't have love and truth. You can't have, they have to go together. The the truth of God, the love of God. And here's how it works. And Paul said this amazing thing. Do you guys catch it at the end? Godly grief and worldly grief. Remember, we were talking about how do we respond when we grieve over our shame, right? When we mess up. This church messed up, and they realized, oh, my gosh. And they were grieving over their shame. And Paul was grieving over pain, right? Right? These people messed up and hurt me. I did nothing to deserve it. And so here are two groups, Paul and the church, grieving over pain, one, and the other grieving over shame. And Paul says, listen, you experienced a suffering that God willed. Did anybody catch that? God can will you to suffer. And now, not out of fun, not because he's a mean God, but there is a kind of suffering that is ordained by the love of God and Paul says which one it is see worldly suffering and godly suffering guys you understand the process this is the one one makes things better the other one makes things worse godly suffering he says godly suffering leads to repentance unto salvation without regret remember if you're if you're dealing with something if you're shamed why because you regret what you did you regret what you did, but godly grief says when you repent of those sins. Meaning, God, I'm, I'm not just not okay. I'm sorry. You know, not like that kid who gets. He's sorry because he got caught. Y'all feel me? My parents seem like yeah. The person, no, you're not sorry, bro. You're sorry you got caught. You're not. You're not gonna change. But people who was like, no, I I realize I need to change. God, help me. When they repent in that way, not only does God forgive them, but God removes the regret. He removes the shame when we do that. See, godly suffering, guys, is like a surgeon, okay? A surgeon is gonna wound you in order to heal you, okay? We got some medical people in the house, right? Anybody had surgery before? Anybody had to recover from surgery? It hurts, doesn't it, right? Sometimes, depending on the surgery, it's gonna take longer than others, all right. But oh, my like, on oh, that poor mean doctor. Look at me. I'm sitting, you know, I'm, I still got this thing. I still got this. I, I got this limp. I'm sore because of what this doctor did to me. No, none of us are upset about a doctor like that. Why? Because we know, yeah, this hurts. The doctor hurt me. He cut me open. But he cut me open in order to fix me. He cut me open in order to heal me. Guys, I want you to know that when God speaks the truth to you, the love of God is the anesthesia that allows the truth of God to do the surgery and do the work. The love of God is the anesthesia that, does the, uh, that allows the truth of God to complete the work in your life. God's grief, godly grief is like a surgeon. God will wound you, but to heal you, to help you, so you can grow stronger and freer. Now, worldly grief is not a surgeon that wounds to heals. God, Worldly grief is an assassin. An assassin wounds you for what? To kill you. An assassin wounds you in order to kill you. That's what worldly grief does. When we're dealing with shame and pain, and if we don't go to God with it, and we're truly remorseful, believing that God is a good God that can forgive us of our sins, if we don't repent of those things, Guess what? That pain and shame remain. And here's what worldly grief does. When you're, shame, when you're dealing with shame, worldly grief processes it this way. I'm, I'm a pathetic, no good piece of fill in the blank. I'm worthless. I'm no one. I'm nobody. That's worldly grief. When you grieve over your shame in a worldly way, no, you, you are punishing yourself and you're stuck in this vicious cycle, in this vicious loop. There's no healing. There's no freedom there. That's what worldly shame, that's how you grieve over worldly shame. But pain, woo, somebody hurts you and they did something that you didn't deserve. You know they were in the wrong and you, you know, let's be real. Let's, be, let's pretend you did nothing wrong and it was all them. And now you're dealing with pain. Worldly grief over pain is, I can't believe that person never did that. I'm never gonna forgive that person for what they did. And now you hold a grudge. I'm not gonna forgive that person. That guy doesn't deserve for me to forgive them. My dad doesn't deserve for me to, so-and-so doesn't deserve for me to forgive them. That's not right. What they did to me is not right. And I'm not gonna make it right by forgiving them. No, they don't know what they did. And what's sad, guys, when you and I hold a grudge, when you and I hold on to pain, do you know that that can cause more damage than what initially caused it? Yeah, I know that some people have done some really messed up things to you. I know it. And some of you are still holding on to that. And now, because you held on to it, it's actually worse. It's worse than what the person actually did to you, and you're doing this to yourself. That's worldly grief. But both of these people, Paul and the church, they experienced godly grief. Paul, according to the pain that was inflicted, he surrendered that offense to God, and God healed his wounds. He, yeah, it was still, notice he was still bothered by it, but he he didn't have he did not have bitterness towards them in his heart. He says I'm I, I'm still love you. I'm proud of you still. And this church, when they were realizing their shame, what did they do? They went to Christ, and He removed the stain from them. And they were saying, Paul, uh, are are you, are you you know we're sorry. Can you forgive us? Can you find it in your heart to forgive us? And He says, of course. And so guys, I, this I want you to know. This is an amazing picture between God and us. The way Paul is, Paul did nothing wrong. The church did everything wrong to him. And yet Paul still remained loving that church. Guys, this is good news. Do you guys know that God does not give up on us when we mess up? Can you just process that for a minute? God does not give up on us when we mess up. We do, right? When we mess up, we're like, oh my gosh. And we start. We punish ourselves. We're struggling. We we choose not to pursue Christ anymore. But guys, I want you to know that God does not give up on us when we mess up. He does not. He's in the same way like here where Paul is saying, listen, I have done nothing to you. God is telling us today, I have done nothing to you. I have not corrupted you. I have not done anything to take advantage of you. I still love you despite what you have done. I still love you despite what you've become. Maybe you're a believer in Christ Jesus and you're like, man, maybe you've taken, you know, you, you've, instead of going forward, maybe you've gone backwards. And he's saying, listen, despite what you have done, I am still In love with you. I am still proud to call you my son and daughter if you have called on me and received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Paul, he was the one that was wounded and didn't hold it against him, but Jesus went a little further. Not only was Jesus the one that was wounded, I'm saying, well, Jesus is the one that was wounded by her sin, but he took the ultimate wounds in his hands and his feet and his back so that we can have forgiveness. Jesus went further than Paul ever did. And guys, I want that to settle in because I don't want any one of you, if you're stuck in something, if you're dealing with shame, if you're dealing with pain, I want you to give it to God and know that God has not given up on you. He doesn't give up on you when you mess up. And so what you should do is what God, what Paul did here. And the only reason why what we can do, what Paul did is because Jesus, again, says these same words. You guys notice, how did Paul, how did I open up today? Chapter seven, verse two. Paul said to this church, Can you open up your heart? Can you make room in your heart for me? Paul says to them, listen, I love you. I'm good. Are you willing to receive me? Because I'm ready to receive you. Jesus, Paul is telling them, can you make room in your heart for me? God is saying the same thing to each and every one of us. Can you make some more room in your heart for me today? Can you make some more room in your heart so maybe so I can address this situation that you're dealing with. Can you make room for me to step in so that I can help remove the regret, remove the shame? Help, can you allow me to step in so I can bring healing to that wound that somebody did in your life? Can you allow me to step in? Can you make room in your heart? I know what you've done. I know what you've become. I know that you should do better and I deserve better than this, but you are still in my heart. Can you make room in your heart for me, Jesus is saying? The spirit of the living God is asking for room, guys. He's asking for room. And you know how we get and we make room for Christ? He, in order for him to increase, John the Baptist says we must decrease, meaning we must humble ourselves and say, God, I need you to step into this that I have. I, I stepped in it, or maybe I'm in it. It's either my fault or somebody else's fault and I'm really struggling. Can you make room for God? To step in because when he does what did Paul say in this he says the God who comforts the downcast he comforts the downcast that is somebody who is literally at their wits end who has nothing left I love Tony Evans when he says Tony Evans has this great phrase when he says sometimes you will realize that God is all until you will never realize that God is all you need until he is all that you have left can you listen to that Sometimes God will allow you to be at that point to realize, listen, all right, now it's just you and me now. This is what we need to do. Make room in your heart for God. When you make room in your heart for Christ, you know what then happens? He removes the shame. He removes the regret. He he removes the pain. And now guess what? There's more room in your heart for others. Others. When you make room in your heart for Christ, he makes room in your heart and allows your heart to grow even bigger for others. So you, instead of the person that has hurt you, instead of not forgiving them, no, you're, you're praying blessings over them. And, and when that person is sorry, you're not gonna hold it against them, but you're gonna offer forgiveness. Listen, I know sometimes people that hurt you, it's not your job just to go make things right. If they don't wanna make things right in your life, you can't do anything about it but you can do something right and forgive them, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. That's the important thing, you gotta release that. You gotta allow God to step in, make room for God, because you know what happens, guys, when you make room for Christ, and, when, and, and you repent, and you make room and surrender all things to him, and when you make room, when he allows you to make room for others, do you know what happens? You don't know what can happen. Amazing things can happen, because you know what happened in this church? This blew my mind, I'm sorry. This blew my mind. Paul establishes this church, they stab him in the back. Paul continues to love and encourage this church. This church turns around and now encourage Titus, who then encouraged Paul, who Paul is encouraging them again in this third letter, his really, second letter really is fourth. And then Paul actually visits them again. And this time it didn't go like the last time. It wasn't a tense meeting. No, it was a beautiful, wonderful meeting when they got together. It was like people who broke up and they got together and like, bro, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to have you back. Do you know what Paul did when he visited Corinth at that, that time, he wrote the book of Romans and that city with that church. And that was an amazing thing When he says, look what happens when you make room for Christ in your life. When you make room for others, God can do amazing things in and through you. In that messy church, God, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Romans where in that book, he says things like, look, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin, what we deserve is death. Yet Jesus showed his great love for us by dying for us while we were yet sinners. And now all who believe in Christ not only are saved, but there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, no shame that remains, no fear when, when Christ is present. Look at that. Billions of people have been inspired by those words for the last 2,000 years. Why? Why? Because a church that messed up, owned up to it, asked for forgiveness, and Paul did not hold a grudge, but instead offered forgiveness. Look what God did when we make room for Christ. Look what God can do when we make room for Christ. And so I wanna challenge you guys to, how can you make room for Christ in your life? Maybe it's, maybe it's the shame, maybe it's your own personal frustrations. Can I be real? Last Sunday was a bad one for me. I shared the story for some people. Last Sunday was a bad one for me talked about we're, we're talking about a series of struggling right and struggling with our spirituality and uh last sunday talking about the struggle bus sometimes we're we're in that struggle bus and it's hard to get off and it's hard to get out listen and what happened i didn't realize i was on that struggle bus until it was too late and it was hard for me to get out of it, it took me the rest of the day and here i was you know talking about this and and bro the enemy came at me hard and i, I didn't realize until it was too late ain't gonna lie, you can tell my wife last Sunday I was like, babe, I think I want to quit I've said that a lot over the last few years, said it a lot but that one was the one I think that was the most honest that I ever said that like it was real I think I want to quit because I see things on the outside and the enemy made me see, huh look at you Mark been what 12 uh, 12 years into this what you got to show for it bro what you got to show for it but four failures and four start overs what you got to show for it and I see people that are people that I'm served don't I don't blame this on any of you guys but I see people that I'm serving loving trying to help and I see their struggles and then sometimes I take that personal I'm like bro if, if they're not getting it then, then what am I doing wrong I took it hard I took it hard And it took me a minute, took me a day, but it was until I let God step into that grief, until I let God step into that make, I had to make room for him. Because see guys, when we allow this bitterness and and unforgiveness and shame, when we let that in, it wants to crowd out your heart. It doesn't wanna make room for Christ in your heart because the enemy knows if you make room for Christ, you're set free. If you make room for Christ, it's over. And so it tries to fill it up with every lie, every emotion, everything. But until you allow Christ to say, Lord, and you call on his name, he'll step in. Oh, and he'll evict all of those things. That's what he says. When you repent, God brings salvation and without regret. So when you allow God to step into your home, he's gonna evict the things that don't belong. He's gonna evict the voice of the enemy. He's gonna evict shame and pain and regret. He's gonna evict all of those things because uh, God doesn't wanna share a house with that. He doesn't want to. You have a mighty God for your many struggles. And guys, look, you don't look inside at you. You look at what he has done. And I want to invite you. Can you make room for godly grief in your life? You got to make room for godly grief. Don't, you know, don't be like the, don't be like the, the queen of Snow White or Lord Farquhar from Shrek. Anybody ever seen uh, Mirror, Mirror, right? Mirror, Mirror. In Snow White, the queen goes mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Tell me the truth. And what did the mirror say? Oh, Snow White is. How did the queen feel about that? She hated it. Because that mirror would speak the truth every single time. And she refused to accept it. She refused to accept it. She grew bitter and dark inside. Lord Farquhar was different, right? When he said, mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me who's the best of them all. What did the mirror say? Well, not you, Lord Farquhar. And he says, oh, really? And he intimidated the mirror until the mirror only said what Lord Farquhar wanted to hear. And if you've seen the movie, there you go. Guys, that is not how we respond to truth. You can't, you can't just ignore, refuse to hear truth or only choose to hear what you want to hear. That does not produce godly grief. There's gonna be times God needs to wound you in order to heal you because he wants to set you free. He wants to help you. He is not here to hurt you, he's here to help you. And in order to do that, we need to hear the truth of God but never lose sight of the love of God and know, and know that he is for us. He is for us and so it's gonna, we have to own up to faults that we have done. He, we're gonna have to own up to our insecurities and allow Him to step in, make room in your heart for Christ. Because when Christ fills your heart, there's no more room for the. When the truth of God and the love of God fills your life and fills your heart, there's less room for the lies of the enemy. Can you make room for your heart? There's still, and, and I want you to know what Paul said. He pretty much told this church, "Hey, there's still room in your heart for, in my heart for you." I want you to know, guys, the same thing. The question is not, is there room in God's heart for you? There always is. The question is, will you make room in your heart for him? Listen, it's inevitable. You will either find yourself messing up and then having to deal with shame and regret because of, I don't know, something you did that you were like, my gosh, what did I do to me? Uh, my actions impacted God. It was a sin against God or my actions have impacted other people, right? That's one thing. You're going to find yourself that and you're going to find yourself having to deal with the pain of other people's mess up because you are on the receiving end of their mistakes. You are on the receiving end of their idiocy or whatever. And <laughs> this is kind of like the not inspiring thing. You will probably find yourself at some point Dealing with both at the same time. And so the good news is, guys, is that listen, when we make room for God in our heart, it provides less room for bitterness and so many other things to take root. Okay, God must increase, but in order for God to increase, we must decrease. And when we make room for Christ, we are asking Him. To step into our struggles and listen, making room for God also means making room for godly grief. God will be the one sometimes to inflict some of this, uh, you know, how do I say it? Some of the pain, some of the shame. Like, He will show you, hey man, I need this, I need to address that. But He does it not in a way to condemn you, He does it in a way to draw you closer to Him. If you let that godly grief lead you to repentance. In trusting in God, receiving His love, and then that repentance, it's gonna be without regret because that is the love of God. It takes all regret, all shame, all pain, He heals all wounds. So I wanna challenge you: revolve your life and revolve your struggles on Christ and make room for Him in your heart.